stories are part of our culture, part of our heritage, from caught, messy quick, quack, and Tim Tim Boisek, to poetry, short stories, novels, memoirs, and non-fiction works. Our stories are woven into the fabric of our identity. Our stories become our history, a record of our experiences, and tell the world who we are as a people. Our writers give us the opportunity to tell our own stories and to add our flair, personalities, and values. Writers, therefore, hold a special place in our communities. TDNRadio.net has declared the month of May 2019 as Dominican Writers Month. For the entire month of May, we will celebrate writing by Dominican authors. As part of this celebration, on the show This Week in Interview, we will talk with different writers every Wednesday night for the entire month of May. Tune in to the conversations from 8 p.m. every Wednesday night on TDNRadio.net. This Week in Interview, May is Dominican Writers Month. Good evening, TDN listeners. Welcome to this week in interview. I'm your host, Anthony Drago. This week in interview is a production of TDNRadio.net. Every Wednesday night, I have the pleasure to have conversations with people who have done so much. They have accomplished so much in life. And I get the, the privilege of having conversations with them. And I share those conversations with you. So welcome back, my regular listeners. I know there's a, a, a few of you, many of you, who tune in every Wednesday night, and I really appreciate the fact that you make this week an interview part of your, your weekly schedule. Today is the 1st of May, so let me take the opportunity to, 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 to wish all the workers, the many hardworking people of, of Dominica and of the region, a happy Workers' Day. Some people do it on, on the 1st of May, and some do it on the first Monday of May, but you call it May Day. So, so I hope you had a great um, May Day celebration of workers, and we know that we are a very hardworking people. Caribbean people have a culture of working really hard. So happy May Day to you. Um, I, I neglect to, to welcome those of you who may be listening to this weekend interview for the first time. Welcome. I hope by the end of the hour, well, tonight we're going to go hour and a half about, um, that you will find that this weekend interview is worth your time and that you, you, you will come back and you will become a regular listener to this weekend interview. I'm really excited tonight because, again, as I said, it's the 1st of May and we have designated May the month to celebrate Dominica's writers. We, we are celebrating Dominican writers. Uh, Dominicans are, are known as talented folks. Our, our music have reached all the corners of the earth. And, 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 and likewise, our, our folk stories, our dances, uh, all, of that, all of that form make what a Dominican is. So, so what is a Dominican? You know, it's our Creole, it's our music, it's our dance. It's our court, our Messier Quick Quack, our Tim Tim Boasek, you know, all of those things that, that uh, form part of, of living in Dominica uh, on a moonlight night. Uh, when I grew up in Casabras, we had no electricity on a moonlight night. We would sit and, and give stories. And even 
when it's no moon, we would be inside giving stories. And, and those stories get passed down from one generation to the next. And so we decided at TDN Radio that we wanted to, to recognize Dominican writers. And, and, and I wanted to reserve a space for just for Dominican writers, just for Dominican writers. And that's what we do. We carved out the month of May, even if we're in the heat of an upcoming election and there's so much politics going on and there's all kinds of news, we decided that we were going to carve out um, a space to celebrate our Dominican writers. And tonight I'm starting with two prominent writers. Uh, Roy Sanford is my first guest, and, and he writes about Dominican folklore. I, I decided to start there because I want to highlight the fact that we have our stories are rich, and, and we have that. I am going to start streaming this, um, this show on, 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 the, on the This Week in Interview page. But as usual, I'm going to take the, the, a quick break, play the CARICOM anthem. When I come back, I'll be joined by Roy Sanford. He's my first guest tonight on This Week in Interview. And the second half of the show, I will have Dominican poet Celia Sorrendo as my guest. So let's listen to Mikkel Henderson as she does the, the CARICOM anthem. We take a word from a couple of our sponsors, and when we come back, I'm going to be joined live by um, Roy Sanford. He will be live on air as well as on This Week in Interview Facebook Live page. So let's listen to Mikkel, and we'll be right back. From many distant lands, our forefathers came. Some seeking adventure, some bound in chains. Through battles waged and fought, through victory and pain, by test of their courage, our freedom was gained. In homage to those gone before us. The heroes of lands in the sun We vow to join hands and to focus On building one Caribbean Raise your voices high Sing of your Caribbean pride Sing it loud and strong Feel the hearts beat as Queen 
Vital Bio Restaurant, brand new on the French side of St. Martin in Marigold. Vital Bio specializes in all kinds of dishes. Oh yes, West Indian dishes, chicken and rice and all that's nice and many other types of seafoods. Oh yes, a one-stock bar awaits you, especially if you need a martini. Vital Bio specializes in all your favorite drinks in top quality for you. Oh yes, Vital Bio, brand new. Yes, I told you so. Lot 107, Resident Lamande, 54 Rue de la Liberté. Vital Bio, the number one restaurant on the French side of St. Martin. Don't you forget to go to Vital Bio, the number one brand new restaurant on the French side of St. Martin. Nubian kings and queens, are you or is someone you know suffering from constant bad hair days because of hair loss or alopecia? Think there's no hope for regrowing your crown and glory? Try Protress, organic hair products made from the finest and most holistic ingredients such as rosemary, nettle, and passion flower. Protress hair products encourages hair growth, prevents hair breakage, and strengthens weak, fragile, or breaking Afro hair. Regenerate and regrow long, thick curls, kinks, and coils with Protress. Visit protresshaircare.co.uk. That's protresshaircare.co.uk to order your monthly supply today. Stories are part of our culture, part of our heritage, from Kant, Missy Quick, Quack, and Tim Tim, Wasek, to poetry, short stories, novels, memoirs, and non-fiction works. Our stories are woven into the fabric of our identity. Our stories become our history, a record of our experiences, and tell the world who we are as a people. Our writers give us the opportunity to tell our own stories and to add our flair, personalities, and values. Writers, therefore, hold a special place in our communities. TDNRadio.net has declared the month of May 2019 as Dominican Writers Month. For the entire month of May, we will celebrate writing by Dominican authors. As part of this celebration, on the show This Week in Interview, we will talk with different writers every Wednesday night for the entire month of May. Tune in to the conversations from 8 p.m. every Wednesday night on TDNRadio.net. This week in interview, May is Dominican Writers Month. All right, listeners, welcome back. And as I told you, I'm very excited tonight to, to be able to, to do this what I, what I really consider to be important, to promote the arts in Dominica. Literary arts for now, but we, we plan to go into visual and performing and, and the other type of arts as well. But this month of May 2019, TDN Radio and This Week in Interview had designated it a celebration month of Dominica's writers. And tonight I'm kicking off the month, I'm very excited to be kicking off the month with my first guest, Mr. Roy Sanford from Dominica. Roy is joining me on the line, and, and we'll both live on tdnradio.net as well as on This Week in Interview Facebook page. Roy, um, thank you so much for, 
for joining me, for agreeing to be my guest on this week in interview. Welcome. Thank you, Anthony. I appreciate, appreciate it, and um, good evening to all your listeners. I, I, I am listening to you, and I'm hearing the crickets and the birds in the background, and it's making me um, nostalgic for Dominica, you know, yes. Dominica well, I, night. I, I, live, I live in Eggleston, so yeah. I, Eggleston is country. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I can hear it in the background. It's, yeah, so, it yes, feels, you, hear, you hear the crickets and all that stuff. Yeah, it feels like home. <laughs> <laughs> But, but I want, I, I, as I said, I, I'm very happy to have you as the first guest, helping, helping me to kick off the month of, of celebration, month of appreciation of um, Dominican writers. And I, and I chose you to be number one on the list because what you write is so Dominican. You, your, your first book that you've published is about um, Dominican folklore. And right. so I'm very excited to share that with our audience. But before we share the work, um, let's find out who you are. Give, give the audience a little background and introduce them to you, who you are, Roy Sanford. Well, as, I, as you said, my name is Roy Sanford. I was born in the Kalinago Territory in Dominica. Um, I basically grew up in the Kalinago Territory. Um, most of my childhood days um, were spent there. Um, I attended the Salibia Government School, the St. Andrews High School, um, but then I eventually um, migrated to the U.S. where I studied at St. John's University. Um, I all from there I um, went went on to you to Washington D.C. Uh, where I met uh, this wonderful young lady uh, from Jamaica, who eventually became my wife. Um, and then we moved to Jamaica. Um, I, I actually started writing um, when I began working with the Jamaica Gleaner. Okay. Um, I, Jamaica Gleaner, of course, is one of the oldest newspapers in the Caribbean. So that is when my, um, my, my writing kind of took off um, formally. Before that, I used to write stuff. And, you know, when I was a kid, I used to write stuff at home and in notepads and just stuff that was, you know, in my imagination, in my mind, like I was going to write them down, but I never really took it seriously as something that I would want to pursue. But I really started putting my words into action, more into thought, my thoughts into words and on paper when I started working with the Jamaica Gleaner. You worked with them as what? What role? What a, was a, I first started as a as a um, as a as a commentator writing um, commentaries, mm -hmm. and then I moved on to become a, a full time reporter. So I was a full time reporter at the Jamaica Gleaner. Okay. And then from there, I um, moved on to Dominican News Online, where I was the editor of Dominican News Online for, what, eight years, eight, nine years. And then from there, I um, moved on. Well, I, I resigned just last year. And um, and right now, I am looking out for another type of media type of work. So right now, I am kind of in between um, kind of Moving from the Dominican News Online into another type of media. Oh, so so you actually work full, work full time as a as a writer. That that's your full time profession. Because well, I'm saying yes. that because that's so many of the profession actually yes. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yes. Okay. So that's that's interesting. Um, is it that you were, is that what you studied at St. John's? You said you went to St. John's. Actually, no. Actually, I did. I, I did. That, it wasn't my main area of study. My main area of study was philosophy. 
Oh. I was dead, yes. It's uh, kind but, of in the same vein. <laughs> <laughs> but, but then, uh, you know, um, but this thing was always in me. So always at the back of my mind kind of bothering me and stuff like that to get into writing and stuff like that. So that is how, you know, when I started working with the Gleaner and I started putting my thoughts in paper formally, that is when it kind of exploded. And, and, and I started thinking of writing a little bit more, not only news, news but also the stories that I that eventually became part of this book. And, and so in your study of philosophy, it's, it's so interesting. You studied philosophy and you, you, you chose to, your first book, is about Dominican folklore. Right. How, how do you, is, is there like a, a, a correlation? How do you, how, how was, how, I guess what I'm asking is, as you get, as you study formally philosophy and all the concepts of behavior and, and all of that, how did that change your understanding or your appreciation of Dominican stories? Uh, I would say maybe in West Indian, um, what we call folklore. Well, as a matter, I think it makes me appreciate it even more, because mm. I think that I think some of these folklores and these stories are part of us. It, it makes us who we are. It's part of our culture. It's part of our heritage. Um, so a lot of this folklore that we and probably you heard maybe when you were growing up, as, as I did, it's part of our of who we are actually right. as a people. So it, it's sort of studying philosophy and all these concepts and, and all these other things. It kind of make me realize that you know that some of these things are just not really as some people would just brush him off and say you know this is just foolishness is a children's stuff and you know mm-hmm. um, this has nothing to do with the real world but quite to the contrary i think it is part of who we are it's part of our heritage it's part of our culture it's part of it makes us unique in a sense you know these dominican stories make us dominican you yes, know what I mean. that, that's exactly what I mean. Our writing is part of the fabric that makes us a people. Right. And not yeah. only that, I mean, almost all our folklores end with some kind of message or some kind of lesson right. that, that you're supposed to learn yeah. um, from either misbehaving or, or, or persevering or some kind of message that, we, that a lot of our, of our moral fiber was built by, by telling stories. Right, right. Yeah. Because you see, for all the, the stories that I put in this book, um, there is, if, if you notice, there's like a common trend between, in all of them, um, there is this, like this eternal battle between good and evil. Right. You know, so there is always, there's this good happening, but then there's an evil happening, and then, you know, they, these two forces are always... Um, at each other, in a sense, at each other's throat. But in the end, you know, good always prevailed. Right. So, so in all the folklore, the stories that I heard when I was growing up, which are the, this this um, stories are based on, there was this, this was the thing that fascinated me the most. That there was this lesson of how good can always overcome evil. It depends on you know how, how we look at it. But there's always this force that prevails, and this is the force of good. If, if you understand what I'm saying. I understand exactly what you mean because that that is always. I guess they call it the moral of the, sto- the, moral of the story. Yes. But, I mean, all our folklore, um, you may say quick, when they end, they say, and that is why up till today, you know, 
rabbit lives in holes or, or, or you know, or, or whatever it is that, that, we, that, that is on our folklore. Um, before we go much further into your work, I want you to introduce your work to the audience by, um, by reading a passage from your book. Right. Um, the book is entitled um, Three Nights Later... Um, story of Suki and Luga. We tell, you tell them what it is. Yeah, the, the, the official title is it's a little bit long, but um, it's, it's called Three Nights Later mm-hmm. The Sukuya on the Roof and Other Stories. A Sukuya on the Roof and Other right. Stories. And Other Stories, right? right. That, right. Is the, that is the title of the book. And um, as, um, as I said, it is based on um, a lot of the stories that are in the book are based on stuff that I heard when I was growing up. You're growing up, right? Yes. Right. So, so set, set, up, set it up for us a little bit, um, the passage that you're going to read, and, and go ahead and read the passage. Well, the, yeah, the passage I'm going to read is from, is, 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 as a matter of fact, is from the first um, story in the book. It's called Three Nights Later. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a tradition in my area, the Kalinago territory, when you, when you, um, uh, that I heard when I was a child, and it is still being said, um, that when somebody dies, um, that person does not know that they are dead until three nights afterwards. So that is kind of a a, 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 a tale or whatever you want to call it. The, the person doesn't know that they are actually dead. dead. It takes three days three for them, three nights for them to realize that they're dead. They are dead right. Yes. Mm-hmm. So so um, so when we were growing up, um, that that used to create a lot of dread in us because um, you know, okay, somebody died, but then. Our parents would tell us, you know, three nights later we might we might hear some strange stuff, or we might see the person, or something to that effect. So, um, the, 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 well, the basis of the, the not the basis, but the story itself will explain the the um, the, um, the whole the whole idea behind this. But then we used to be afraid, and after somebody died for three nights afterwards, we used to be so afraid we used to go to bed early and all that stuff. So um, that story is based on that. Um, is based on that tradition. I know it's a tradition or some folklore that I heard, out, and it is still alive actually in the Kalinago territory. Right. You know, people still are afraid three nights after somebody died. You know. Um, so this story is based on that tradition or, the, or that old tale that is that has been going on around um, from since what from since whenever. Okay. So let's hear it. Okay, so yeah, uh, I so this okay. This is called Three Nights Later. Um, so here we go. The night was quiet, as if the whole world was holding its breath, waiting for something to happen. The moon looked so big and hung so low, it appeared as if you could reach out and touch it. Somewhere in the distance, a dog howled mournfully. And even further away, an owl hooted eerily. Those were not good signs for Mama. She made a sign of the cross before huddling me into the living room. On her face, she wore the look which told me that she was worried. And I knew what it was all about. It has been three nights since Mr. James died. And Mama had always told me that a person never knows death had come until three nights later. You will die today, but you will not know until three nights later, she always said. Then she said the spirit would make one last move around the place it used to live as a human being before heading in the direction of the cemetery 
to meet the physical body buried there. And tonight was the night Mr. James was going to know that he had died. Whenever someone died in our area, Mama was the first person who was called to take care of things. Then she would grab her rosary, a small bottle of holy water that never seemed to run dry, her book of novenas, and hurry as fast as her legs could carry her to the death house. There she would chant, chant some psalms, sprinkle holy water in the four corners of the house, place coins over the dead person's eyes to keep them closed, repeat prayer from a novena book, and wait for the funeral home to come and pick up the body. Mama said her job was to keep evil spirits from contaminating the body of the dead person, because if they did, that person would never die, but return to work with obia men and do all sorts of evil things. Mama saw herself as the last stance between the living world and the evil world. But despite her familiarity with death, Mama was afraid of spirits, zombies, lugawus, sukuyas, and the like. Her fear was evident all over our house. Brooms were left upside down to prevent sukuyans from stealing them to fire on at night. Crucifixes adorned every window and door. A horseshoe hung upside down on the main door to prevent sukuyans from entering. The walls were covered with images of St. Michael the Archangel and St. George slaying the dragon. Then there were things in the house that mama that then there were things that mama had in the house which I was not allowed to see. But I heard, them, I heard her talk about them, however. They include the cemetery dirt, a mahupima whip, and the teeth of a male pig. So naturally, when Mr. James died, Mama went to perform her duties and I followed. This was the first time I had actually gone with Mama to a death house. Upon arrival, the air and place were punctuated by cries of anguish. A solemn look covered everyone's face. We entered the house and into the bedroom. The smell of death filled my nostrils, a heavy, pungent, and suffocating smell. Mr. James lay on his bed as if sleeping. In his hands, he grasped a crucifix, undoubtedly placed there by a relative. His eyes were still open, staring at nothing, and he appeared as white as a sheet. Even for a six-year-old like me, what I saw was clear evidence that he was dead. Mama placed coins over Mr. James' eyes and began her rituals, but I could not take my eyes off the corpse on the bed, and suddenly a terrifying fear filled me. I could feel my head growing bigger and bigger, and my tongue getting heavier and heavier. I was struggling for breath. Mama's chanting, the cries of sorrow, the wind in the breadfruit tree outside all blended into one and seemed to grow louder and louder. Then everything around me started growing dark. And Mama's chanting, the cries of sorrow, the wind in the breadfruit tree all seemed to grow fainter and fainter. Dark shadows danced in front of my eyes and my breathing became laborious. Then to my utter horror, Mr. James turned his head. The coins dropped off and he winked at me. The last thing I remembered was a weak scream coming from my mouth, and then everything turned pitch black. When I came to my senses, I was at home in bed with Mama, peering down at me. I tried to get up and felt weak. Mama pushed me back and said, you got sick and passed out. I had to carry you home. I was not sick, Mama, I objected. Mr. James winked at me. I saw it. 
He winked at me. A look of deep concern suddenly appeared on Mama's face. You sure you know what you're talking about? She whispered, half comfortingly, half puzzled. I nodded gravely. Then Mama immediately sprang into action. First, I was anointed with olive oil. That night, I was wakened at midnight and given a bath which consisted of glory cedar, pom coolie, zeb kues, and tabak zombie leaves. Added to this was red lavender and alkalado. Then Mama told me what had transpired. She said Mr. James' body was about to be taken over by an evil spirit, but he had arrived in time. However, she was not sure how powerful the spirit was and if he had taken, if it had completely taken over his body. When I saw Mr. James open his eyes and winked at me, it was the work of the evil spirit, she said, and she was sure it would come after me knowing that I was a weak and vulnerable child. But don't worry ahead, she concluded. I know how to take care of things. In the distance, the dog kept howling, and Mama walked around straightening things in the house unnecessarily. The story she told me about what happened at Mr. James' house had evoked a combination of fear and curiosity in me, and somehow I wished Papa was home. Papa had gone to, to see Rosary at the death house, which was normally done for nine days after a person died. Papa was a brave man who feared no man or spirits, and the talks of Mr. James' spirit did not put a dent in his fearless demeanor. Papa loved rosary recitals and nine nights because it was a good time to meet old friends, drink some rum, and have a jolly time. That damn dog did not sure to get moved then, Mama said, as the dog kept howling in the distance. I wish I could give it a kick in its bottom, eh? Mama went to the, to the kitchen, and suddenly I got a sensation that someone was outside the window. A moment later, the strange but familiar smell of death filled my nostrils. The smell brought back a, a flood of memories from Mr. James's house. Mama's chanting, the wheels of sorrow, the wind in the breadfruit tree. I felt my head getting bigger and bigger, and my chest closed around my lungs. Then I felt as if someone or something was pulling me towards the window. I tried to struggle, but it was an attempt at futility as I felt myself being dragged closer and closer to it. By now the smell of death was overpowering, and it seems to envelop me in a cocoon of which there was no return. Before I knew it, I was turning outside the window. I was turning at the window, looking outside. Outside was like daylight, and the howling of the dog had stopped. Thick silence covered everything. The smell of death was so powerful that I wanted to vomit. And then I saw it, standing below the window. I only saw the top part of the body, from the chest up. It appeared as if it had no legs, but was just floating in mid-air. The hair was matted as if by water, and the eyes stared out at nothing. It was Mr. James. From what seems like an eternity, I stared at the specter. On my part, I could not think or move or say anything. It, as if something, it, as, it appeared as if something held me, as if I was bound by some invisible force over which I had no control. I tried to scream, but my tongue had turned to lead, and nothing emanated from my mouth. I tried to move, but it seemed as if my, my legs had turned to rubber. I struggled desperately, and in a strong urge of energy, I heard myself screaming, Mama, Mama. From somewhere far, far away, I heard footsteps, and then felt Mama's strong and comforting embrace enveloping me. 
He told me the next day that my eyes was, was turning white, my eyes were turning white, and I was foaming at the mouth when she found me at the window. But that, but that night, I did not know all of this. And Mama took me to her bed, where she repeated over and over again her favorite Latin prayer, Pene Creator Spiritus. I was given a glass of water, and Mama asked me what happened. I told her, and her face became chiseled with determination. She left me on the bed, and, I went to the, and she went to the window. I rebuke you, you evil spirit, Mama said. I rebuke you in the name of the infant Jesus of Prague. She returned to the bedroom, and she told me that she was going to do what, she had, to, what had to be done because she said an evil spirit had somehow, en somehow entered Mr. James's dead body and was now trying to take control of it. The evil spirit had somehow locked itself onto me and was trying to possess me also, a living body, instead of Mr. James's dead body. The revelation filled me with horror. I sat trembling on the bed as Mama made preparation for the bat to battle the spirit, which she said was still outside. First, she, made, she turned her clothes inside out. Then she wrapped her left sleeves three times, spun around three times, and poured a handful of the cemetery dirt over her head. Then she opened an old suitcase from the corner and pulled out the Mahu Pima whip. I had never seen it before, and the sight of it filled me with a mixture of awe and curiosity. Stay there, Mama whispered hoarsely to me and went outside. That night, I never, that night, I did not know what really happened outside. I stayed on the bed, filled with fear and shaking like a wind, like a leaf in a hurricane. All I heard was Mama screaming strange incantations and the crackling of the Mahupima whip. This went on for about 10 minutes, but it seemed like an eternity. Suddenly there was a loud, blood-curling scream and then silence. The silence was so heavy, I could hear my heart beating and I could hear my my strenuous breathing. Finally, Mama came in, exhausted. She carefully wrapped the Mao Pima whip and placed it back in the suitcase. She came and laid down beside me and whispered that everything was going to be fine. We laid in silently on the bed for a long time, unable to move, trying to comprehend what had transpired that night. And then, somewhere outside, a cricket started chirping merrily. That's a good sign here. Eh? Mama whispered, a very good sign. Mike, yeah, okay. I'm sorry. Those are the type. That's the type of writing that we or, or stories that were told um, when we were growing up. And you know, sometimes it was to put the fear of God in us, and sometimes it was just it was genuinely believed. So, right. so how, how many short stories do you have in your book? Well, there are ten short stories. Mm -hmm. um, this is this is just the first one. Um, there is um, there are others. One one is called um, the the Mama Glow at Deep Blue. Um, there's another one um, called um, The House That... The, the, hold on a sec. I can't get it just right now. The, yeah, but there are 10 stories the in 10 all. The 10 stories, uh-huh. Yeah. There are 10 stories in all, right? So, so listen, 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 get your book. 
He said it's available on Amazon. It's on, available at Amazon, yes. You can just go and type in Roy Sanford. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, or you just type in Three Nights Later. Just, you can just type, type in Three Nights Later, you'll be able to get a hit. Mm-hmm. Or if you want to just type in the whole thing, Three Nights Later, The Suki on the Roof and other stories. Um, but if you type Roy Sanford, you definitely will get, you will get a hit. Um, and you will be able to get the link for the book. Uh, it's yeah. available in both hard copy and Kindle editions. Kindle edition, yeah, it's available in Kindle. So, but also you can you can go to Barnes and Nobles. It's also available at Barnes, uh, on Barnes and Nobles online. So you could basically do the same thing, you know, as you do with Amazon. You just you can just go to go to to BarnesandNobles.com and you type in Roy Sanford, and you will also get a hit. Um, and then you can order it from Barnes and Nobles also. It costs just eight dollars and ninety five cents. Right, right. I, 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 I got my copy. And you know, like I said, your, your writing is, is so clear and easy to follow and, st- and you know, and it draws, it draws the readers in and keep the reader engaged. So congratulations on the work. Well done. Um, Thanks. So are you working on, on your second book? <laughs> well, actually, yes. Um, I, um, I have it almost completed already. Mm-hmm. And um, so hopefully we, I should publish soon. Um, it is basically a continuation of these short stories. The thing is, uh, when I did this project, um, I was not expecting the kind of feedback that I got. Right. Um, I, I think I sold, uh, I, I think I've sold, I did not check the latest, um, 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 figures from, from, um, from Amazon, but I think I've sold somewhere between 250 to 260 copies and it's and it's just in within three years because mm. the book was published in 2016 you know so just from amazon i i was able to sell maybe around 2650 some, somewhere around that area right and so you know that that is what this month is about it's about introducing our writer your work to to our audience and not just introducing them for the sake of introducing them audience i'm appealing to you to support our writers. You, you heard this first story, and, and it's exciting. Um, I'm sure you were scared. If you felt scared, it, it means that it's good writing, and there's so many other of those stories in there. We need to support our writers. We need, to, we need to make it commercially viable so that our stories can continue to be written and it can continue as our culture and as our heritage. So, so, so Roy, I, I want to thank you so much for coming on. And for introducing your work, listeners, I'm going to I'm going to post a link to to the to the book on this booking interview page, so you can go from there to Amazon or you can go there directly. Right, I'm really looking forward to to your second book, and um, I congratulate you on how well and how vividly you're able to capture our folklore stories that that we grew up with in Dominica. No problem, man. And and before you go. Um, not everybody is from Dominica, so I'm going to make you explain to them what is sukuya. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> well, a sukuya in Dominican folklore is a witch, actually. Mm. Um, and uh, well, there's another story um, in the book. Mm. Um, it's called. Um, uh, it, it, the story basically tells of how two guys was able to kill a sukuya. Now, right. a sukuya is the sukuya is a witch um, in our folklore that um, is a woman. And um, according to our folklore, um, this woman this more or less is always an old woman. And um, so at night, you know, she, at night she would um, 
as according to the stories, she would peel off her skin and then, you know, get on a broom and then fly to Haiti or fly to Guadeloupe or something to that effect. And and um so based and then come back and um you know they suck people's blood and those kind of things. Because it's kind of like a vampire. Right. It's like it's Dominica's yeah. version of a vampire. Of a vampire. Right? Definitely. Right. Yeah. Or folklore. So again, right. thank you very much for for coming on and you as my first guest on this month of um, Dominica's writers, celebration of Dominican writers. And I look forward to continuing to, to push your work and um, look forward to your new role. You said you, you are uh, in the process of transitioning into a new right. role. Right. And, and so I, I wish you well. And I'm always know that um, my, this mic is always open to you right. it, it, to come and read more stories to us or, or whatever else that you would like the audience to know you're welcome to share it on this definitely, weekend interview definitely. all right all right man thank you so much i appreciate it so much i no problem you're very welcome all right man thank you so much thank bye you. take care man. right all right Good. so listeners there you had it my first guest on um on on this weekend interview um one of um my first guest on month of, of celebration of writers mr roy sanford is uh, a writer, and you, you heard what he read. He writes Dominican folklore. Uh, talk about three nights after, uh, you know, growing up, when you grow up in the village and somebody dies in the village, you, you know, there's this silence that happens, and everybody's walking on tiptoe until, you know, the, the dead is treated properly and, and, and buried. So, so, that is what we want to bring. That is, that is the whole idea. And go to, go to Amazon.com and look for Roy's book and, and buy it. You know, it's, it's not expensive. It's less than $10, but it means a lot. Let's take his sales up to 1000 to 5000 Let's give it as gifts to our kids for their birthday and for graduation and for, and for all of that. You know, let's, let's start to use that. You know, the same way that they have the fables. And, and you have theater and, and all kinds of plays. You know, the Hunchback of Notre Dame. Um, you have Hercules. You have all of these fables that, that, has, that seem to be, you know, European culture. Our folklore and our fables also would, would help to, to raise our consciousness about what it is to be Dominican, what it is to be Caribbean. So if you're joining me late, um, this was the first half of the show. Mr. Roy Sanford was my guest because for the entire month of May, we are celebrating Dominican writers. I have two writers every Wednesday, and May has, May has um, five Wednesdays, so there are ten guests. Next up is Miss Celia Sorrendo. So let's take a quick break, and um, when I come back, we are going to, to have uh, Miss Sorrendo on live, joining me from Dominica. She's a poet, very accomplished poet, and we're going to talk to her about her work, and she's going to introduce you to her poems. Maybe you can even convince her to read one or two of her poems to us. Um, we're in for a good time. Stay tuned. Stories are part of our culture, part of our heritage, from Kant, Messi Quick, Quack, and Tim Tim, Boisek, to poetry, short stories, novels, memoirs, and non-fiction works, our stories are woven into the fabric of our identity. 
our stories become our history, a record of our experiences, and tell the world who we are as a people. Our writers give us the opportunity to tell our own stories and to add our flair, personalities, and values. Writers, therefore, hold a special place in our communities. TDNRadio.net has declared the month of May 2019 as Dominican Writers Month. For the entire month of May, we will celebrate writing by Dominican authors. As part of this celebration, on the show This Week in Interview, we will talk with different writers every Wednesday night for the entire month of May. Tune in to the conversations from 8 p.m. every Wednesday night on TDNRadio.net. This Week in Interview, May is Dominican Writers Month. Welcome back, um, listeners. I, I hope you enjoyed the first half of, of this weekend interview. I, I hope that you enjoying this first um, week of Dominica's writers. We're celebrating Dominican literary uh, work. Uh, we, have mo- we have several writers. We, I started this project um, with Ms., um, the help of, of Ms. Nicole Judges Bennett. Nicole, you know, those of you who listen to TDN Radio, is, is, is part of our, our team. And she helped me put this together. And, and so I want to say a special thank you to Nicole. Um, from the time we discussed it, she got on the ball and contacted. She's the one that put the, ro- the, the schedule and the roster together, pretty much. And I must say she did an awesome job. Nicole, thank you. Um, joining me on, on the line from Dominica, is Miss Celia Sorrendo. Uh, she Celia is a poet, among other things, and she did say that she, she does a little bit of photography, and of course, being in Dominica, she doesn't have a choice but to like hiking. <laughs> so I, I, I'm going to go directly to start my conversation with Celia. If you, if you didn't join at the beginning of the show, this is This Week in Interview on tdnradio.net. And for every Wednesday in May, I'm interviewing two writers from Dominica. We devoted the month of May to celebrate Dominican writing, Dominican writers. And so um, we have, we have um, 10 writers. And, and there are so many writers that, that came and were willing to share their work um, that we may have to do after that a writer every month. And before I go to Celia, 
one of the reasons why we wanted to do this at TDN Radio is to get people more familiar with Dominican writers and, and their work and to encourage you to support the work. Listen to it, share it, buy it. You know, the, the books are not that expensive. Um, give it to your kids as gifts. Those of you in the diaspora, give it to your friends who may not be from Dominica. Give it to them as gifts. Support the work. So, Celia, welcome um, to, to this weekend interview. It's a pleasure having you on. Hi, Anthony, and hi, listeners. Thank you so much for this opportunity. I really appreciate it. Yes, and, and, I, and I appreciate you taking time to, to, to join us. Um, speaking with you earlier, um, you indicated that um, you're in Dominica after Maria, and there's a lot going on in terms of still trying to recover from the effects of Maria. So I know that that can be very um, time-consuming occupied. So I really appreciate you taking time to, to join me on this weekend interview. Okay, thank you. Yes, and yeah. thanks, Nicole. For, this, um, for putting this together as well. Yeah, she did an awesome job, yes. Um, I'm lucky to have her <laughs> helping me, you know, because she, she, she's super, you know, organized, which I'm not always accused of being <laughs> organized. So, so um, tell the listeners a little bit about yourself um, and, and, and your background. Okay, sure. Um, so I was born in Dominica, um, born at the Princess Margaret Hospital. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, uh, we left Dominica when I was eight. So most of my education, my growing up, etc., um, was done in England. And then, um, so the whole family moved to England in that time. And um, mum and dad, after a while, they came back to Dominica. So um, they brought us to England and left us there. <sighs> And then came back, <laughs> uh, came back home to Dominica, uh, where they retired. And then myself and my husband decided um, that we were gonna, we wanted a lifestyle change. So we, I returned back to Dominica in 2005. So I've been here um, ever since. To, to the, so 2005. Um, well, I understand why your your parents did not want to stay in. Um, in the UK, and now that you've moved to Dominica, I'm sure that you understand why they oh, did that. <laughs> always wanted to come back, so I'm so happy that I finally um, was able to do that. Yeah. And tell us about tell us about your writing. What um, what motivated you to to take up writing? Because we know that, as a matter of fact, um, I sometimes attend an event in the US that's called um, the Starving Artist. <laughs> exhibition so so it's not it's not especially in in dominica especially in the caribbean um it's not the easiest um hobby to 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 see returns on so what motivates you to to write i would just say because even by you saying it's a hobby um people have that impression that Mm. it's a hobby and it's you know especially in the caribbean anything that's seen as creative is often called a hobby and is not um, sometimes taken seriously. So at school, etc., or when um, young kids are growing up, if they tell their parents, oh, you know, I really want to sing or I want to um, form a band, play a guitar, I want to write, um, often parents say, oh, that's fine as a hobby, but, you know, you can do that if you become a doctor first or, <laughs> you know, 
So I just wanted to spell that myth straight off that creativity is not just a hobby. It's not just a hobby. Yeah. It can be, it's a, a serious business and it's just, it, it can be, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's so, 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 Sila, let's clear the air because I wasn't sure if you, if you write as a full time, as your full time occupation. I'm saying just generally that's mm -hmm. um, just a bit about my background. Mm -hmm. So, um, in England, I was actually a computer programmer. Mm. Uh, so, I didn't really, uh, I didn't really touch into any creative side at that time, really, when I was growing up. My sister, though, was um, an amazing... I have a twin sister, um, and she is an amazing poet, and she also is an amazing storyteller. So I often used to go and see her perform, and she was my first inspiration for, for poetry, really, to get into poetry. Um, but I always thought, oh, you know, you're always told when you're at school, you're either good at maths or you're good at English, you're good at sciences, or you're good at the creative side. So you, you never really get the idea that, um, that you can do both. So I kind of just stayed in the um, technology side. And it wasn't until I came to Dominica, really, that I, I really started to look into creativity. And um, Orwin Bully uh, was inspired to start off the Nature Island Literary Festival. Right. So I think it was 2008 for the Dominica reunion and uh, that was my kind of first introduction that wow yes um, writing uh, can be a career that can be something um, people can do to earn a living uh, so that was kind of my first hint that uh, actually meeting the writers close um, close at hand meeting the writers who have published that was a, a turning point um, I started seriously writing, I'd say, probably about five years ago, um, when I had a little bit more time to focus, mm -hmm. when I started seriously writing poetry and sending off to journals. So right now, um, I've kind of finished, I think I've finished my first poetry collection, so I'm looking to get it published. Or you publish your first book of poetry. Now, um, let, me, let me ask you, um, why poetry? Why poetry uh, uh, as, a, as that form of writing? Why not short stories? Why not novels? Whatever. Why, why poetry? Okay. Yeah, for me, poetry, I love, I love reading. I'm, I'm a very passionate reader. I love stories and novels. But for me, poetry just gives a really condensed form. You have to trim everything down in poetry. You've only got a limited amount of space to convey what you're trying to convey. So I like the challenge of condensing everything down, stripping off anything you don't need. And also um, one of the fundamental aspects that makes poetry different, well, written poetry that is, is how the words are put together on the page. So how you lay the poet, poem out on the page um, is actually part of the aesthetic of poetry, how you do your line breaks, how you control where the reader um, breathes, where you put your punctuation. So all those aspects of poetry is um, why I, I like it uh, as a form. It's a visual as well as what you're trying to portray. Right, so, so but did you have any formal training as a poet or you just um, self-taught? 
Um, a lot of it is self-taught. As I say, I'm a passionate reader, so I read and read and read. I read lots of poetry. But um, I did also, when I decided I really wanted to be a poet and I was serious about it, um, A, I was applying, sending my works off to journals. I also went on a pay-to-go on a poetry um, workshop in Trinidad called the Copper Foundation uh, Writing Workshop. Mm-hmm. I also attended another writing workshop in America called the Kalaloo Writing Workshop. Kalaloo Writing Workshop. That sounds Caribbean. Yeah, well, apparently Kalaloo is, um, as a as a dish, it comes up in a lot of different cultures. So I learned that it was it comes up in the African culture and also the southern, um, uh, the American kind of south. Oh, culture. south, right, right, right. So yeah, so I learned a lot um, in those two in those two workshops. But mainly, it's the internet is um, the most amazing resource. I think if you want to be a writer. There is so much on the internet that you can tap into that can help you out. So yeah, that's awesome. So that- yeah, let me just take a quick pause to um, let listeners know that you're listening to this week in interview on tdnradio.net, and my guest tonight is Miss Celia Sorrendo. She is a writer from Dominica, and that's that what brings her. That is what brings her to this week in interview because it's the first of May. And the entire month of May is being devoted to focusing on Dominican writers and their work. And, and Celia is, is a poet um, located in Dominica. And um, very interesting because for most of us, our, our interaction with poetry is in school. Um, not always pleasant. We're given a poem and we have to write, <laughs> write a summary or some kind of report on, on that poem. Um, I was one of the few weird kids who did not mind um, doing that. But by and large, our interaction of poetry goes there. And maybe sometimes we attend an event and there's a guest artist who does a presentation of their poem. Do you, do you um, present your poetry live? Are there opportunities in Dominica to do that? Um, as I sound relatively new, mm-hmm. uh, we have the... the Nature Island Literary Festival used to be one of the best venues here for um, showcasing local literary talent. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, for the last few years, we haven't been able to host it for a number of reasons. Right. Um, so have, there's a very passionate individual called Shauna Johnson who has put together of her own steam. She holds a show called Lyrics Under the Stars, mm-hmm. wherever able to she hosts it whenever she can and um i did a performance at one of her shows recently um performance poetry i'm quite a, 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 a as i'm new to actually performing poetry and and um saying it to an audience so what is that experience like standing in front of our audience and presenting your your poetry to them completely nerve-wracking <laughs> the writing process is so um, singular and it's so it's something you do on your own and then having to perform it for the first two time to an audience is really daunting. Also, um, Kimone Joseph, Kimone, um, Kimone, who is head of UE, mm-hmm. um, he also hosts 
uh, an event called Words and Wine event, but that's just once a year. And poets have the opportunity there to perform. And sometimes the cultural division also hosts some events where poets and writers can perform their work. Because I imagine when you write a poem, like you said, even the way you lay it out on the page becomes part of the whole aesthetics and, and part of the impact in the message. So, so performing it gives it another dimension as well, where you sort of now have a little influence in how, on how the reader reads your poem, right? Or interprets. Exactly, because as well, some of the nuances that I can employ on the paper wouldn't come across um, in a performance. For instance, for instance, a line break that I do um, to help the poem and help what I'm trying to portray wouldn't mm -hmm. come across when I'm um, performing it. So the performance is very different, I'd say, to when you read the poem on your own. It's, it's a different, it becomes a different poem in effect. When you perform it. That's interesting that you, you actually said that performing it is a little bit more restrictive than just presenting it on a page. That, that, that's an interesting perspective. I'd say, I wouldn't, I think you lose some and you gain some. And you gain some. Mm. Yeah, the, the poets, how I come across my performance then becomes the most critical aspect when I'm performing a, a poem, whereas when I write a, a poem and somebody reads it, the words really have to stand on their own because I'm not there right. to it. So they're very, very different um, forms, I think. Well, well, listeners, not only are we live on cdnradio.net, but we're also live on This Week in Interview Facebook page. And so, silly, I don't, I don't know if it's necessarily a performance, but um, <laughs> I, I would, we, would know we would be honored if you would read um, at least one or two of your of your poems, I introduce them to the audience. Okay, well, thank you very much. Um, I'll read um, after Hurricane Maria was also, was obviously a very traumatic experience for a lot of us. Um, but for me, one of the ways I, uh, if I want to work for an emotion or something, I want to think about a bit more poetry. I find is a really, really, really helpful tool for doing that. It allows me to look at things from different angles. So when I write a poem, even if I write it in the first person and I say I, I'm not necessarily talking about me. I bring in lots of different experiences, trying to look at things from different people's points of view. And I bring all that into the poem. So after Maria, I wrote quite a few poems, and I'd just like to, if I can, read this Sure, we will be honoured. Um, in the Air. Okay. After the hurricane, my grandmother, in her basement storeroom, hunkered down, knelt her knees raw with prayer, the whole long, long lashing tail of night, then ascended slippery stairs, hoping... By holy intervention, her home had been saved. She stared from ruined room to room, swaying like a punch-drunk spirit, mouth and eyes wide black holes of disbelief, words gone as wounds appeared. She walked on water, treading over 80 years of floating debris, then could do no more then silently thank her saviour over and over for sparing her life. After the hurricane, 
After mass, tales of rampant looting circled among them like hungry dogs. After the turned inside out, but still well-clothed congregation, still silent, had shared signs of peace. No one appeared to conjure and divide loaves and fishes between some people, divided by good and bad luck or circumstance, divided by ability or will to pad and prepare, concrete seal, pantry stock, ensure against calamity. But having enough or not enough saved surely meant little then. After all, none were saved from that almighty hurricane that reigned in our poor island and had everyone drowning. After the hurricane came the crazed lines for food, for any kind of fuel, came the telltale spores of rats and roaches tracking rubbish, dank despair threading desperation through the dark. At night, my grandmother floated in and out of nightmare-laden sleep, waiting for the chain rattle of locked door, for the bark signaling predators had come for what little she had left. She prayed for enough strength and grace to give the strangers what they came to take. After the hurricane, she said, sometimes it felt like man-eat-man survival, every woman for herself, who had time, air, breath, breadth enough to free dive deep and long enough to understand then these heads heaped, backs breaking, carrying stolen mud-crusted sofas, sinks, spirits, through debris to homes miraculously still standing. To understand then the tragic, improvised or organized bacchanal trashing of schools and stores. Who could explain anything then? Understand or explain anything now? When she was able, my grandmother told me about after the hurricane. Months later, I flew home and stood stone still in the ruin of her home, alone. I thought fear, the faith, had been uncovered, illuminated, as I watched a mass of untethered particles air floating in the beam of my headlamp, from floor all the way above my head to the star-spored heavens. Oh, that's, <laughs> that's, 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 you know, really touching. Um, so, so you wrote about, about that, that experience, that event. Um, do, you, do, you, do you have a particular theme that you write, or you just, you just um, whatever inspiration you get, you, you write from that? No, it's really whatever inspiration. So it can be anything. It can be something I'm thinking about. It can be nature. Um, I love mangoes, so I have a poem I wrote about how it goes. <laughs> so... Um, Whatever inspires me. Okay, one of my one of the listeners texts me and asked that I should ask you how 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 does your your Dominican upbringing how it influences your um your your poetry? Well, I'm 
I'm totally, I think we forget sometimes. We actually have a really, really rich, um, rich heritage of um, storytelling and writing in Dominica. Um, I know we're a small island and we're not, you know, our writers aren't widely known. But when I used to do a lot of research in the library, etc., and um, I, I really like collecting uh, Dominican books and poetry books and story storybooks. I'm always amazed that we have so many local writers. A lot of them self-publish because, you know, the opportunities aren't necessarily there for publishing. Right. Mm-hmm. But um, I, I really draw on that uh, as my inspiration, the fact that we have a rich cultural history of writing and poetry. So my childhood, um, the actual poetry collection I'm working on it kind of, um, it's triggered about leaving Dominica uh, when, I was, when I was eight and going to, to England. Um, grew up, I just, my time in Dominica, my childhood was fantastic. And then when I moved to England, um, I didn't even know where England was, really, to be <laughs> honest. Dad kind of said, oh, we're going to move to England. And I'm like, you know, where, where's England? So um, those actually going to England and um, experiencing some, you know, difficult times, some racism at school and things like that. Uh, That's kind of some of the subjects that I'm exploring in my first poetry collection. So, yeah, absolutely. My childhood um, plays a big role in my poetry. So so if you had the opportunity to to talk to the, the people, education people in Dominica, the people who do the school curriculums and people who influence the education system. What, what would you recommend in terms of insertion into the, into the curriculum um, in, for, for, for our students in terms of writing and poetry and that sort of thing? Yeah, I mean, uh, I used to work with an organization called Hands Across the Sea, and uh, my role was to try and help establish libraries, school libraries, mm-hmm. so stock them with books, etc., and really encourage children to get passionate about reading. Um, one of the things which you brought up is sometimes the way we teach creativity, the way we teach writing or poetry can be um, very stuffy and not very interesting for the child and makes them grow up thinking, oh, um, I don't like to read or I don't like poetry purely because maybe the way they were taught it, um, the the person person maybe was not passionate about it or whatever. So I'd really encourage um, the education department to try and make it more fun, try and make creative writing really fun for children and absolutely, it's such an essential part of the curriculum and part of the education system, allowing children to express their creativity in whatever way, be it painting, writing, dance, drama, whatever. Children really need that creative expression. And I think there's lots of um, research to show that it actually helps if they have that creative outlet, it actually helps them in other, in other ways. Um, it helps them in the, the normal uh, other curriculum-based um, subjects. Right. Like mm-hmm. ever. So you'll find that if you allow children to tap into that creative spirit, then um, it will help them academically. And not only that, 
um, if you can direct the, the children have a lot of energy and what happens is sometimes we say oh our children are they don't obey you know they never keep still or or whatever and a lot of the time is is frankly they're bored and they're not stimulated so giving them a creative outlet you can find that you might be able to channel that energy in something that's more constructive and not destructive so all round, um, I'd love to see creativity um, recognized as something that's that's important and not just a sideline or a hobbyist part of the curriculum. Definitely, and, and you know, I think um, it is one of the few opportunities that you have in a classroom to talk about behavior and human interaction and feelings and. Yes. Yeah, because you, you can't really do that in physics or maths or English, not so much. Uh, um, yeah. yeah. So, so yeah, I, I would like to see a little bit more of that, I believe. Yeah, especially with the aftermath of Maria. There's so much trauma. There's so much trauma in the island, and um, creativity gives a way of processing that trauma. And in your own way, in your own time, it's not all the time people need to directly be asked, you know, to relive their experiences. They don't, that's not always the way to do it. But if you give them a creative outlet, then they can do that in their own time and explore their feelings and emotions in their own space and in, in their own time to come to terms with things that have happened. So you, you spoke about the Nature Island um, Literary Festival. Um, does it look like it will be held this year? Do you know? Um, I really don't know. Um, resources is a major issue, not only financial resource, but also human resources. Mm -hmm. It takes an awful lot, amount, uh, awful lot out of the organizers each year um, in terms of time and effort. Because even though we're a small island, actually um, putting together a literary festival is the same as you know, for a large island, it's just that you've got fewer resources to do it with. Right. So, um, as I say, it's Orwin Bully, Dr. Orwin Bully is the brainchild behind the Literary Festival. Um, so I can't say if, if it will happen again, but um, who knows? Well, well, we make the resources available um, to the extent that, you know, we can use technology to expand the audience. The same way we're talking live right now, um, and we can see each other, we could we could deploy that same technology. So, um, from TDN's point of view, we would be willing to to participate wherever wherever um, we may be able to to enhance the experience, because we can if we can do that and, and build on what was already um, established, not let it go, um, you know, by the wayside then maybe, maybe we can influence the education system. Celia, do you have another poem that you could read? Did you come prepared to read a second one? I've got a short one. It's uh, still on the theme of um, Maria, but uh, just, again, just exploring uh, Maria. And it wasn't always... There were some good things um, that came out of Maria. So sometimes we get the the feeling or impression that it was all tragedy or all really bad but there were some really beautiful touching moments um after maria you really saw people coming together people helping each other neighbors helping each other so those aspects 
So those aspects is important to highlight as well. That I like to call it. There's a film um, called Collateral Beauty. Mm-hmm. Um, I like to call it Collateral Beauty. There's also beauty in uh, in amongst that you can find in amongst the disaster. So this one's called um, picking. This one's called My sister and I are picking mangoes. <laughs> My sister and I are picking mangoes again in Mum's debris garden. Our tropical life has been entropically recolored since the hurricane passed. She came to help us, and each hourglass day turned over and over is often sublimely beautiful and surreal. Brown pleasuring to green, yellow, red, starred silver, indigo, far too visible. This beloved mango tree is recovery. She has us in awe with her constant, almost embarrassing, fruitful giving. I hold my husband's green fishing net. I know what it's like to fall, bruise, split skin, and expose flesh all the way down to bone white sea. So I pull down and catch, save some mangoes from this fate. I imagine, though, the fruit innately scents my nonsense. Knowing there is no sin in falling, grow, fall, feed ground, gut, grow again, repeat infinitely. Brown hands pick up any spoilt grounded fruit, toss them into the grown green gutter. Our aim? Deter flies from hovering around, seeding worms into ripening fruit. So thank you. <laughs> <laughs> That's beautiful. I guess you really like mangoes. I love mangoes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, mango tree in my mum's garden. Um, it's just been amazing since after Maria. It's just been giving us crop after crop of really delicious mangoes. Really sim- um, symbolic um, of um, of the recovery, you know, of, of the island. Yeah. yeah, very much so. But you know, you writing about those different aspects of Maria, um, what that, uh, what is part of the reason why uh, I think it's important to, to promote our writing, because writing is not only for present day entertainment, it also documents what's, what's happening. And, and so many times we would probably just forget, you know, we, there's something that happens, it touches us for, for the moment or for a week or for a year. And five years from now, we may or may not remember it, but you capturing it in, in poetry or, or somebody else in a, in a short story keeps it for posterity. And, and, and so uh, that is why at TDN Radio we decided that we wanted to celebrate. I call it a celebration of writers. And, and I heard you say that you were amazed at the number of writers that Dominica has. And that's something that's not stressed enough. Or, or we're not seen, we are not seen as a, as a society, as a community where people read or, or are literary, or we're seen as mostly hardworking and, and, and you know, with our hands and what they would call blue collar. But there's that other side of Dominica that's extremely vibrant. And, and so I applaud you for that. Yeah, on the... Um, I run, a few of us run the Nature Island Literary Festival Facebook page. And one of the things we do is try to maintain a front cover um, kind of photo album of all the books 
um, that have been written by Dominicans um, or about Dominica. So that's something as well that we try to do to try and show people, look, there's this wealth of books that Dominicans have written. Um, unfortunately, quite a number of them are no longer in print or, or not available. But um, when you look at that, you, you really get a sense that for a tiny island, we, we are, you know, literary people. So where, where can listeners find your work? Um, I have a website called cediasurrender.com. So I post a few of my poems on there. So, yeah, they can take a look at that. But you also said that you submit your work to, to journals. Yeah. Um, there may be some listeners who may, be, who may have work that they would also like to, to be able to submit for, for consideration. Would you care to share um, what, how they can go about um, trying to find that resource? I, I really recommend if, um, if there's any writers out there, to, that's a really good way of pushing yourself, is to try and submit your work to literary journals. Um, as I said, we maintain the we still maintain that even though we can't have a literary festival, we still maintain all the ethos behind the literary festival. So we maintain the Facebook page, and on there we're always posting um, competitions, information about journals, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So any budding writers out there, I really to strongly suggest that you like the page Nature Island Literary Festival and keep checking in and um, I'm sure you'll find really useful writing tips, writing prompts and ideas for submission. Some of the ones I'll mention, especially the Caribbean ones, there's the Caribbean Writer um, that you can look up. There's Moco Online Magazine. There's a new literary magazine just come out from Jamaica, it's an online one as well called Pre, P-R-E-E. -E. There's another literary magazine, I think also from Jamaica, called Susumba Book Bag. And there's BIM, I think, BIM Literary Magazine. So those are a few ideas to, to look up, um, to submit your work in the region. And um, wider than that, there's there's a whole host of other journals from like UK and um, America that um, you can look into as well. Okay, so so in recovering from from the ravages and the disruption of life in Dominica, um, what's your assessment of the current state of of literature literature in um, and literary arts in Dominica? You, is it, does it look hopeful? Is there a lot of work to do? What, what's your sense? No, I mean, as I say, we're, I think we're creative people. Creativity, I think, is just in our blood. Also, the fact that sometimes um, we don't have financial resources to do some certain things, I think that makes us creative anyway. We're very inventive. We're very creative in all aspects of our of our day-to-day our -day lives. Um, I think I've recently heard there's a new OCS um, music forum been organized. So there's different things in the pipeline, I think, that are coming on board to help people with musical creativity, etc. Um, the, the sad thing is, unfortunately, a lot of the schools got destroyed. 
um, after Maria. So I think a lot of them lost their libraries. So a lot of them lost their books. So that's, that's quite sad. So if there's any members out there who are kind of um, associated with um, a Dominican school, especially the primary schools, I really implore you to get in contact with the principals and find out what kind of books that the children could do with, what, what's really lacking. And it's really important to talk to the principals, though, first and not just send anything, um, because the last thing you want to do, because storage is very limited, etc., is to send a load of books that are not appropriate for the age or not what they're looking for. So I really encourage you to contact the principals and, and find out what kind of books they could do with. Um, but other than that, uh, as I say, financially, there's there's more kind of important priorities to get the island back on track. So perhaps some of the finances, um, I can fully understand why not, that might not be going into the creative arts at the moment. But even saying that the cultural division that's one of the things they made sure they did after Maria to get the morale moving, etc., was to keep going with all the cultural activities during the independence season. So you really have to um, applaud them for doing that. So, so yeah, I, I feel really hopeful. Uh, it's just we just need more access, more access to um, resources, finances, publishing opportunities workshops and things like that just to support um, the creative spark. So, so in that same vein, how, what kind of reception does your work receive on the international stage when you submit them to journals? Because I, from what you've read, it seems like a lot of, some of your work is, is Dominican-themed. Um, not that somebody from anywhere in the world cannot relate to it, but it's, 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 it's rooted in Dominica. Um, what is the experience in terms of the reception for, for, for that type of work? Um, I haven't read anywhere outside the Caribbean, so I, mm. I can't say in that respect. And most of the, I'm just trying to think, the majority of the journals that I've submitted work for so far have been... Um, the Caribbean journals. I did. I was actually shortlisted. One of my poems was shortlisted mm -hmm. for a UK national poetry competition, competition, which is one of the largest competitions. Congratulations! Um, that was uh, a couple of years ago. So I think, to be honest, um, I don't think too much of that because I think once an emotion can carry through. Um, it can carry through to any culture regardless. And um, no one ever asked me, you know, when I read Great Expectations or whatever, you know, how did you find Great Expectations, the fact that you came from the Caribbean or whatever? So we're expected to right. read everybody else's literature and understand it. So I'm sure everyone can um, read literature that's, uh, that has roots in Dominica and fully understand what we're trying to convey, even though they might not understand every single word, um, especially with Google now, there's nothing that you can't look up. So, so I don't worry too much about that. And I think, I think the work, all work that um, has an emotion quality can, can carry over to whatever culture. I really like that answer because too many times we hear people say that it sort of suggests 
that we have to do something to all, all the, the work that we do for local consumption. We have to repackage it or refine it before we can expect acceptance on the, on the international scene. Take our music, for example, or Calypsos. People say, oh, the Calypsos are too Dominican. People outside of Dominica would not be able to understand. So I really like the way you, 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 you turn it back and say, well, when I did Great Expectation, they expected me to understand it. Therefore, we should be able to have our work that, that reflects our culture and expect them to do what it takes to understand it. I totally believe passionately about that, that we don't have to change ourselves, our culture. We don't have to change our dialect. If you speak in a certain way and you want to write in dialect, then absolutely, you know, um, there's so many writers now who are writing in vernacular or whatever and, and, and are known all over. So don't, I personally don't believe we need to change that. Um, to be able to succeed um, on the international scene at all. And that is so important because we have local writers and what you're telling them is your work, if your work is good, it's good. It's good in Dominica, it's good in the Western, it's good internationally. That, that's, that's my personal opinion, yeah. Yeah, all right. So that's great, that's great. Uh, Celia, we, we, we're coming up to the, to the end and um, I had a good time. <laughs> and... and <laughs> Anthony, I mean, these these occasions are so rare for us, you know, to to promote Dominica, to promote Dominica's um, literary scene. They're re really very rare. So I really appreciate the opportunity for you guys putting this show together. And um, yeah, good luck with it. No, thank you. Thank you so much. And um, thank you for the support. And, and of course, being on the ground, so to speak, um, we would appreciate your input in, in, in how we can even make it bigger and grander and in the sense of our reach and not only our reach but our engagement of the audience um, positive reaction from the audience uh, ultimately we want people to support Dominican writers and, and read their work and, and promote it and buy it and, and consume it um, we think that that is important um, as, a, as a people um, our, our art has to develop with us um, for that sense of country pride, for that development. So, so I really applaud what you do um, under what I'm sure is probably um, not necessarily difficult, but challenging um, circumstances. So thank you again. Yes, thanks again, Anthony and the team. And uh, have a good evening. All right. Awesome. Take care. Bye. Bye-bye. So, listeners, there you have it. Um, our first night on um, our first night on Dominican writers, the, the month of May, designated to celebrate Dominican writers and their work. So, I encourage you to to find out about our writers tonight. We we featured the work of Roy Sanford. Uh, he he writes stories based on Dominican folklore. And on the second part of the show, we had Celia Sorrento. Um, Celia is a poet writing about life in Dominican, Dominican experience. Very, very, um, you know, vibrant and, and vivid writing that, that really takes you into life in, in Dominica. 
There is so much for Dominica to share. We are not called the nature island of the Caribbean by accident. We, we have a very rich culture, very rich heritage. And so I encourage you to, to, to go on the Nature Island Literary Festival Facebook page, like it. If you are a writer, um, there are resources there that can help you to, to, to get to work, get your work published, get your work recognized. But importantly, uh, I, I want to encourage you to, to support, support Dominican writers, support Dominican writing. So we'll do this again next week, next week Wednesday. We do this every, every Wednesday in the month of, every Wednesday in the month of May. I'm going to have two writers from Dominica, and we're going to feature their work. So, but this week, this week is all about uh, Roy Sanford and Celia Sorrento. So, support them. Go look up their work, read their poems, and, and so on. Next week, May 8th, uh, we'll have um, Delroy Nesta Williams and Catherine Dorset. Catherine is no stranger to, to this week in interview. Um, you know, she, she did the work Fire and Monstrat that she's, she's working really hard at turning into, into a full-length movie, um, Fire and Monstrat. So next week, that will be my guest. Those are, will be my guests, Delroy Nesta Williams and Catherine Dorset. But for, but for tonight, I hope you had as much fun as I did. Those of you looking at us on Facebook Live, on this weekend interview Facebook page, thank you for joining us. Uh, traditional radio, uh, you know, I always appreciate you spending this weekend interview with me. The hour races by, and tonight we did an hour and a half. So thank you to, to Sam, our engineer and producer, Nicole Judges Bennett. Thank you so much for helping me put this together. Uh, the first night was great, and um, I, I think we're on to something, so let's, let's keep it moving. Good night, folks. This has been This Week in Interview on tdnradio.net. Have a great rest of the week. Enjoy your weekend, and we will do this again next week, Wednesday. <laughs>